Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Get More Students podcast. I'm your co-host, Alex Asher, CEO of LearnCube. And I'm Herbert Gozer, founder of digital advertising agency, HerbertGozer.com. And what's our topic today, Herbert? Well, a uh, very exciting topic, how student recruitment has changed for language schools. Um, no doubt, <laughs> a lot of things have changed in the world over the past year and a half. Um, and certainly, student recruitment has changed um, for the language training industry. That's right. Uh, certainly on, on the LearnCube front, since you know, uh, I guess our niche is language schools and tutoring companies, we've seen a lot of online and, and physical language schools um, switch uh, online uh, or do more mm. online. And so with those changes, we've had a lot of questions. And actually, when we started with uh, Herbert, you and I talking about marketing, a lot of the questions we had were from physical language schools going, hey, how do I go about student recruitment? This whole thing is changing and I don't know exactly. how to go about it. Absolutely. And I mean, at the ad agency uh, in March, April uh, 2020, obviously there was a significant shift in, in how language schools um, facilitated their courses. That transition to online also meant that a lot of language schools didn't know um, how and where to market their uh, courses and what marketing channels to use. So, um, yeah, it was a very busy time uh, uh, last year helping language schools um, take advantage of some online platforms to promote their online courses. And fortunately, today, we're going to be talking about it, but not just you and I. We have a very special guest with us um, yes. by the name of Sue Park. Um, he's the Director of Marketing and Recruitment at the English School of Canada, um, based in Toronto. So thanks for joining us, Sue. Thanks, thanks Sue. Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Robert, for having me on. Yeah. Um, now, Sue is also not not a newbie, but I, you know, again, just like all of us, we're all learning during this kind of crazy year. But but Sue's actually been in the mm. language training industry for over twenty years, um, so has really observed a lot of changes in you know demographics and best practices, and you know the market's been changing constantly. So it's great yeah. to have somebody with your experience, Sue. Thank you. I'll I'll try to share as much as uh, my knowledge as possible. <laughs> Uh, Herbert, I mean, a great place to start is, um, you know, helping us kind of create some context and some contrast. Mm. Um, you know, what was, you know, what was student, what did student recruitment really look like pre, pre-COVID, you know, pre-March 2020? Right. I mean, you know, when we're talking about uh, language schools, and I think especially for ELT or English language training schools, from my experience, uh, a lot of their students um, came through agencies. Um, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, Sue. <laughs> it, that, that's pretty much sums up our activity and and yeah. everything um, and anything that our partner agencies had done in the past uh, was something uh, repetitive year after year. Yeah, so that pretty much sums up. Yeah, it was it was it seemed like a channel that was you know up to that point it worked really well like you know uh, but it was a very dependent channel right because you know when i was in new zealand and australia particularly in australia you know it was definitely sort of 80 to 90 percent of business was coming through that agency channel is that how it was in in canada as well sue from your perspective yeah so um canada is very similar to australian market probably a couple of years uh, behind 
But um, uh, pre-COVID, um, my uh, my employment at English of Canada since 2003, um, our industry in Canada hasn't really evolved much. Um, and I think it was a one overdue in terms of the way we recruit students. Um, and we see that from students and changes are slowly starting to happen. Uh, markets are becoming more informative. Mm. Um, the information that we have had and shared, um, wasn't being so unique, um, in terms of sharing that information about who we are as a school and what we do being in Toronto and Canada. Because I think in the last 20 years, Canada has uh, profited and benefited a lot from having international students, and a lot of them have gone back and shared their information with their friends um, and relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, so market war, uh, market was becoming a very informative, and uh, uh, but we're still doing uh, a very similar and same way for the last 20 years. You know, going yeah. to uh, different countries for three times a year to meet the students through fairs. Um, you know, working with the closed um, agencies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so sort of summarizing, it was very agency-focused. You were having to actually go to these um, agency fairs where either you would meet Mm -hmm. agents or you would meet students um, as part of kind of supporting directly those agents that were working on your behalf. And had you – or did you notice many people really experimenting at direct marketing you know, before COVID started? Yeah. Uh, so the digital marketing has uh, emerged into Language Canada, which is an organization that advocates on behalf of language sector in Canada, public and private, uh, for, I guess, last five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, for schools to make, in some way, a bold decision to a pivot uh, toward the digital marketing, um, it, it really it, it would have been a gutsy move uh, mm. because <laughs> eighty to ninety percent of your main bread and butter um, are heavily depending on agencies. So even though we have wanted for language school to spend, um, you know, a chunk of cash towards um, R and D for developing digital strategy, um, was something that everybody knew that is coming, but at the same time wasn't the move that everybody was ready to make. Mm. And I guess there wasn't that pressure um, to change or adapt or to innovate back, back, back then because, you know, you had such a stable, um, I guess, business with a revenue stream from, from the agents. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, even, even in my, you know, even with LearnCube, uh, looking at our own marketing channels, you're often kind of trying to improve often the things that are working and so if agents were working it would i guess what you're also saying is it was hard to see the same return like i could put a thousand dollars now worth more into some agents or i could put a thousand dollars into facebook but the return on those agents at that particular time was just was it much higher or was it just more as a safer investment like you knew what the return was I, th- I think that's pretty much where language schools were standing, Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly why it was. You you do two, three fairs with um, close partner agencies, and and they uh, set the venue to recruit students, uh, and and the number X number of students uh, translates into dollar. Yeah. It was more uh, mm-hmm. you know conspicuous forecast from a lot of language schools. So that is basically no brainer. Yeah. 
there was like, if I go to one more fair, then I get X number more <laughs> students. And so there was a real correlation, or at least it felt quite a safe forecast is what you, I think you're hearing. Yeah, Alex, yeah, that's, that's interesting point because I think just before COVID though, uh, when I look at 2017, 18, 19, the, the market have, uh, some of the markets we, uh, dealt with, have dealt with, um, have become really informative. Um, I'll give you, for instance, um, uh, markets like South Korea, um, or, or Taiwan. Um, they have become a very informative market. There's a less mm-hmm. dependency on agencies per se in terms of students in their countries getting the information. However, they'll be going through agencies to get the visa process done, for instance. Um, other related um, activities or, or, or services uh, will be one of the main reasons why students have been going to see the agencies. But in terms of information, uh, some of the markets that we have depended on a lot in the past have become really informative. And when I say informative, um, it's where the markets, where the people in the markets are able to assess information in hand. Um, but still, when I say um, agent activity is quite vivid, um, that would uh, definitely uh, mean markets such as a Latin America or Brazil where um, the market activity is still depending on in-person, going to see the agents. Parents need to see the person who actually talk about the schools and the country and who actually had an, um, experience sending students abroad. Uh, we had a lot of markets other than South Korea or Japan or Taiwan um, that depended on um, in-person uh, counseling. Mm. Uh, so I think the COVID really... Um, uh, was um, an agent uh, that accelerated the whole change of the process of students need to now go out there and finding the information on their own without having mm. to depend on going to the agency because clearly because of the COVID. Yeah. Fascinating. And yeah, I mean, having the the, the prospective students now kind of with more power, uh, you know, that that means schools need to be very aware of their whole um, complete online uh, presence, website, social mm. media, etc. I'm, I'm sure that was also a big uh, um, topic uh, for you, Sue. That's for sure. And I think moving forward, Herbert, um, I frankly don't know how many of us in our ELT business in Canada will continue to have online part of our business um, accelerate further, or are we eventually moving back to where we were uh, pre-COVID-19? That's a good question. Of course, time will tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but schools like us who, who have worked with you, Herbert, for uh, last uh, 17 months and, and know the potentials um, of what we can actually achieve through online, uh, having the strong online presence, um, it will probably be hard to completely depend uh, back on um, agencies or uh, mm. solely on in-person recruitment style. What do you think that percentage mix looks like for you, Sue? Um, or even if you just want to talk more generally from what you've talked with colleagues and that kind of thing, like if it was 80 to 90% agency-driven before COVID, what do you feel that the current mix is now? And then what do you feel it's kind of heading towards? 
Yeah, thanks for the question, Alex. So for us, uh, pre-COVID-19, uh, I, I don't even know if we actually had a digital presence, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would rather say uh, direct inquiries. Yeah. Um, there are some Asians, it uh, doesn't really matter which country it is, but there are some, Asian, there are some students who actually have fundamental doubts about going through, uh, doing the processing through uh, the third person, that they like to have everything um, in control. These are um, in the tourism industry, what we call um, allocentric people who actually like to have everything under their own control because they know they think they can do this um, and they can process their visa themselves by applying through Canadian embassy, etc. But this is very small um, percentage of the market. Um, our market depends on the mid-century where about, um, you know, 45 to anywhere between 45 to 60 percent of people who have some knowledge but still depending on, on the third person, like an agency. So um, we had some direct um, registrations, um, but monthly basis, the revenue um, will be less than 2%, 3 to 2%. Obviously, wow. the revenue was much bigger because we, we based our tuition on in-person studies, so it, it was mm-hmm. higher. Uh, but then still, it was a small pigment of what we make uh, per month. Um, during COVID, though, uh, and now, um, through the campaign, uh, through Herbert, um, has really helped us a lot. And um, now the direct registration has gone up to about, in some months, about 25%, okay. um, which is huge. Um at the same time, I would say the number is underestimated because some of the campaigns we've done through Herbert um, are actually some of the students are going to the agencies with the information that they've got from us uh, through direct communication. Yeah, right. So there's almost like an aspect of both direct inquiries, but also informing, you know, basically through, you know, an, an extra touch point, I guess is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, Exactly. So we're up to about 25%. And then I guess the question would be, where do you think that's (laughs) heading? Do we feel like it's going to start bouncing back and going back towards a more kind of agent-driven model? Or, I mean, even 25%, while I think is a staggering growth, is still a heavy reliance on agents at 75% of the mix. Is that Mm. what I'm hearing, Sue? Yeah, Um, but once again, this is very anecdotal experience Mm. from my end. Um, A lot of schools may not go back to the digital marketing uh, or digital channel to obtain certain portion of their revenue in the future. They're they're more ready to go back and and do the in-person and and pre-COVID style marketing. Some may and many schools may. Uh, But, you know, our school... um, at any given point, we have about 500 students pre-COVID. So mm. we're not classified as a big, big school, but um, I would say more like a medium, sort of in between medium and big size school. Yeah. The challenge with a school like us, I need to have constant adaptability, and we have to be very, very super sensitive with the uh, competitors coming into emerging to the program that we um, have first built because it was very unique and niche market. Um, so when the other competitors come in, we need to be able to create different product and be able to exit out of the conventional product. 
and create a new product. So that, that timing has always been very sensitive for schools about our size. Um, so, you know, to add my point previously about the, uh, digital uh, recruitment, um, this will, for us at least, stay um, uh, in the future um, as, uh, you know, important channel of recruiting students, um, at least from what I can see. Herbert, since, I mean, while we have exposure to it, we are only more exposed to it at the kind of school and kind of conversation level at LearnQ, but you would probably mm-hmm. have a much higher, yeah, you, you know, kind of what the budgets are that kind of people are coming with and what percentage that might be of their overall marketing. What's your take yeah, on this? Um, mm, right, right. I mean, you know, every school is different, right, and has yeah. kind of different priorities and, and sees the future differently. Um, but at least the, the clients that we, we work with, uh, have kind of doubled down on, on that, um, digital marketing, um, strategy and see it as the foreseeable future and really want to build out one, you know, their online, overall online presence, their website, social media, and, and keep on reaching new markets and new audiences through, uh, online campaigns. Um, yeah, I mean, I still know of some some schools out there uh, that haven't maybe uh, um, taken it as a priority to to get online quickly and to maybe market their online courses. Uh, I, I assume that they're hoping that things will go back to normal uh, and that people will come for in person courses via agents again. Yeah. Uh, what uh, is Canada receiving students in person now? I believe so. Yeah, so uh, we have been even through the pandemic. Um, so there's very specific type of people that could uh, have entered uh, during the pandemic. Those are what we classify as essential workers. Mm-hmm. So essential workers are people who work in a farming in a needed regions, um, and even international students have actually hold a study permit are considered as essential travelers. So those students have been coming. Um, I wouldn't say a lot, um, you know, since we were able to open the school physically and accept students at, for in-person classes, um, it hasn't started for long. Um, right now, we have about a little less than half, uh, two dozen students in the school. Uh, but these students are the ones who actually went through our um, rigid 14-day quarantine uh, government-mandated process of uh, being in the hotel for 14 days. And obviously, it has um, extremely a lot of financial uh, burden on students mm. uh, because that 14 days stay at the government-designated hotel costs somewhere around twenty-five dollars to $3,000 just yeah. for the 14 days. Mm. So it, it really dissuaded a lot of students who... Uh, wanted to come, uh, but now uh, we are slowly opening up our border, as you might hear. Um, as of August 10th, August 7th, um, our neighbor in the south, who have been fully vaccinated, are traveled to come to Canada, uh, not on essential purpose, but non-essential purpose. So if they're fully vaccinated with the four vaccines that are approved by Health Canada, they could come here and completely bypass uh, the whole quarantine process. And as of September 7th, uh, we're opening up our border further to the countries that actually have a visa waiver system set up with Canada um, and through ETA, Electronic Travel Authorization, uh, which is the system that links um, the citizen's passport 
to our system for five years and just like seven, ten dollars to set that up. And those are the countries that should have once again visa waivers set up. Those countries that are in the EU and some mm. countries in Far East countries, far, uh, far East like Korea, Japan, Taiwan, they could stay up to six months if only they are fully vaccinated with the vaccines that are approved by Canada, so they can come. And so numbers are growing slowly, and, and we are opening up further. And obviously right. that um, has relevance to percentage of fully vaccinated uh, residents in Canada. And uh, the province that we live in, Ontario, uh, we have 80%, 81% um, of the first shot fully vaccinated, uh, first shot vaccinated, and 75% um, of fully vaccinated race. So it's pretty high. Yeah. I guess what's interesting about that is it's still, maybe it matches a little bit like the UK, like from my anecdotal uh, kind of conversations, a lot of physical schools here are seeing like 10% of their original student recruitment. And I don't think we've seen a sudden bounce back, even with some Mm -hmm. minor openings, because there's still quite a lot of disruption. So the the big question for me, in a way, is that while encouraging, those numbers are still huge differences from what was before the pandemic. And so the I guess where I'm sort of wanting to, uh, and interested in both of your opinions, is if in-person doesn't magically go back to where it was, there's still kind of a need to kind of push on the online side of things, I guess, to be able to keep things going. What are your opinions on the, on the way things are moving and how quickly they are? Yeah, so Alex, there hasn't been magic for us for the last 19 months. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it has been feeling like walking into doctor's office and, and you hear a bad news kind of thing. So <laughs> there, there hasn't been some magic solution. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I think if UK is having 10% of students coming back compared to the number that they had pre-COVID-19, uh, that's a good number. Uh, our number is nowhere close. They'll probably have somewhere mere 5%. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, exactly. don't think, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Um, you know, the countries uh, that we heavily depend on in Canada, as you may know, it's in Australia and UK too, uh, China has uh, um, a very important card. Um, they have their uh, own vaccines, and a lot of citizens in China have been vaccinated. Um, Canada, unfortunately, have not recognized their vaccines, Sinopharm and Sinovac. So um, mm. there's no study done in terms of booster shot with the different uh, vaccines, whether it's going to be effective, whether it's going to be okay for those students that actually have been vaccinated with two vaccines that are recognized in China. So that question still remains. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think we're close to seeing uh, anywhere close to what we have had pre-COVID-19. Uh, and more so, for that reason, uh, working uh, and, and emphasizing on digital recruitment um, is going to be important uh, strategy for us for the next while. Yeah. So, and I, I assume also because of these restrictions that that also changes the target audiences and, and markets that um, previously might not have been on on your radar to you know reach out to new uh, potential students. Yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent question, um, Herbert. So I, I think what we have benefited the most 
from the digital campaign that was held by Herbert is, um, is, is seeing, uh, waking up to a, a dormant market. That market existed. So we didn't create that market. It, it's a market where people never had intention to travel. Uh, that market was something that we never interested uh, unless you actually open uh, a shop in different countries um, and have your own ELT system set up in Brazil or Korea. It's not a market that we have been interested in because I think we are good. Things were in general pre-COVID-19. We were okay. Revenue-wise, bottom line-wise, everything was okay. So that change wasn't really necessary. With the digital campaign, um, we have woken up to a dormant market that we have never realized it existed. And um, I would say, uh, you know, little less than half of uh, the consumers, uh, customers and students that we have recruited in the past, um, a lot of them have no intention to physically travel to anywhere because they're professional. They, they are getting paid good. Uh, their jobs are, are less impacted by COVID. Uh, their wage has not been impacted. So, yeah, and, and those markets um, is something that we are keenly eyeing on and uh, moving on forward. Also, those are quite different, uh, almost products in a way, right? So one was, uh, it seemed like the majority of physical language schools, certainly Australia, and I think Canada has similar things. They have requirements on how many hours a student would have to do per week in order to kind of uh, achieve a certain kind of level of status with like particularly going into like higher education and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But that's quite a different product to, for example, helping professionals who are not going to spend uh, six hours a day in a classroom. They only want a certain number of hours per week. So it's quite a different product and a different value proposition, a different price point. Mm -hmm. Everything about that is quite different. Have you noticed that change for you, Sue? No, obviously, Alex. I think to add to your point, um, there's really subcategories of what you just have mentioned. Even even within ESL learners uh, who have been conventionally taking programs in person or even online, there's a, there are a lot of subcategories. And I think the ESL industry itself um, has been evolving, as you know, and uh, there's a lot of shift from our end as an institution, private language school. We focus a lot on ESP, English for specific purposes. There are a lot of professionals that are out there whose English isn't bad, who don't have confidence, though, uh, to be able to connect with their suppliers and buyers in different countries in different time zones where they're forced to speak English as a common uh, language, but they just don't have that much of confidence. Um, for those people, even within the category of people you just described, Alex, I, there's a strong shift of people wanting to learn the language through the field of expertise and specialization that they're involved, where their more intrinsic learning uh, is involved. Um, so we, we can we see that change happening quite rapidly. Interesting. That also would change even the teachers you recruit, and I mean everything kind of changes with the product change, right? That's for sure. I mean, so far we have um, uh, we have to follow uh, Languages Canada uh, criteria of who we hire in terms of um, having certain level of education plus. Um, we, in Canada, we have Tesla Canada, which is um, certification process for teachers to be able to teach in designated learning institution. Um, on top of that, schools like us, we're looking for some overseas experience. How long is it? Where did they teach? Et cetera, et cetera. 
But with ESP, English for Specific Purposes, obviously we're looking for a people with uh, different backgrounds, and it usually comes with um, more um, older age group of experienced teachers who had profession in engineering, or uh, we have some teachers that used to be RNA, uh, RN, uh, RN uh, registered nurse, who have gone on to um, the uh, ELT sector, and we were really looking for that type of specialized experience uh, previously uh, before they coming into um, ELT industry. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, thanks so much for your for your insights, Sue. It's uh, um, it's it's great to hear. Uh, some input from from you know from the ground from uh, you know someone in a language school, especially a, a a previously physical language school, and and how they've made that transition over the past one and a half years. And I think everyone is asking themselves, you know, when is it going to return to normal? And it probably won't return to normal normal. Um, but you know, what does the future look like for the industry, especially language travel schools? Is you know, the digital product, the online course is still going to be a huge part of the, the mix. Yeah, so we have a term in our uh, language industry um, and our direct um, executive director of Language Canada can't say it better. Um, we, have, uh, we have a saying, building a plane as you're flying. So I, I think we're still at that stage where we're just rolling with the punches at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of schools that I know... Um, are waiting for that that you know recovery of the normalcy that we used to have pre-COVID-19 uh, when nobody has an answer. Um, I think it's really depending on individual schools' structure uh, whether they're going to continue uh, with the digital strategy and how long. Uh, mm. But strictly looking at from where I stand, um, you know, waiting for that that normalcy will not be restored. Um, in, in the next while, um, and, and we're prepared, prepared to move uh, forward with the uh, uh, digital campaign as we have been, and even after uh, some level of uh, normalcy is restored, uh, we have now known that there is um, untapped market that's out there, so we're, we're continuing to uh, plow through uh, this channel through a digital campaign for sure. Great. Uh, Herbert, any ideas on where you see things going? Yeah, I mean, uh, innovation. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of kind of one of the first words back um, back in March, April. Oh, you know, language schools need to innovate now and and not just offer the same um, language programs that they were offering in person online. Um, but you know w- what that looks like. Uh, you know, there are so many different different ways ways to innovate. Um, whether or not it is the 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 method of facilitating the um, online programs or the teaching style, or maybe implementing some technology, virtual reality, um, artificial intelligence. Uh, there are so many um, different. Uh, yeah, ideas out there, and and I guess only time will tell which of those play out, and the the investment, both time and and monetary, um, you know, what provides the best return on investment. 
I think one of the questions I have that may be helpful as well is like, what won't change from <laughs> now? Because if you know what won't change, then investing in that makes a lot of sense, right? So, for example, if what won't change is students will, you know, a certain proportion or a certain demographic of students still want to learn online, then that won't change mm-hmm. regardless of when things go back. But it seems like at the moment, right. otherwise the alternative is just to wait for things, you know, an environment that you have no control over. So I'm kind of curious about that question, like what won't change and therefore what could language schools do that will benefit them regardless of what the future holds? Yeah, that's a really good question, Alex. And <laughs> I asked that myself. I asked that question myself too. I, I think this 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 answer um, I have to defer it a little later. I think I need to see what reemerges back into the market to see what hasn't changed. Um, things are pretty dormant, and I can see that now Canada's slowly opening its door. Um, the the Asians that had little or less uh, or no activities are now slowly emerging back. I mean, that's a part of sign that um, you know they downsized during the COVID. And now they're emerging back into the recruitment scene. So I, I think for next while, um, the presence of agencies and the dependency that went with it from a lot of language schools will still be there. Uh, but once again, I think this is something that we need to see six months later, seven months later, when things are, um, you know, enormous are uh, is restored. We'll, we'll see, oh, this hasn't really changed. Uh, so it's a little early to tell, to be honest. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, we're just going to have to see a little bit uh, longer. Makes sense. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the, coming on the show, Sue. Um, it's been really Thanks, great Sue. to have you. I've, I've definitely learned a lot. Um, today we've gone through what student recruitment looked like before COVID. Uh, we've looked at what it looks like now and hopefully given you some ideas on what uh, yeah, what it could look like in the future. Uh, but for today, um, we really hope that we've delivered our promise, which is to continue to provide ideas, inspiration, and motivation on marketing for language schools and tutoring businesses. And anything else you want to add to it, Herbert? No, thank you again, Sue, for your insights. Um, I hope that's uh, helped uh, any any language schools out there. And yeah, see you in the next one. Definitely. So make sure you hit that subscribe now button and see us on the next week of the Get More Students podcast. And we'll see you again. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.